You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, folks. As you know, Black Diamond is one of the major sponsors of the Enormo Cast. And while the money they've handed me has disappeared into the dark hole of debauchery, they also hand money over to some important organizations like the American Alpine Club, like the Access Fund, and like the Nature Conservancy, the people who control a major part of Indian Creek. So when you're spending your money on new gear, consider the fact that not only do they make great gear, but they're also trying to protect the places that you're going to use it. Black Diamond, proud sponsor of the Enormacast. We got to get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's out. Out town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed playing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so, but we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget... You can go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Normo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee. And you can go to pureholds.com and enter Normo to get a discount on great Colorado-made climbing holds. Both the coffee and the holds will give you the power to crush your enemies and see them driven before you. And now back to the show.
Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is indeed the third anniversary of the EnormaCast. This is episode 71. It is Wednesday, December 17th, about 2.15 Mountain Standard Time in the afternoon. Unusual to be doing this in the afternoon. Feels weird on this cold, gray, snowy day, but not too early to drink beer. So it's all working out just fine on the anniversary. I believe I started this thing around December 7th or 8th, three years ago. And uh, we have 71 episodes now, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's become quite the archive of not only climbers of our generation, this generation, but uh, past generations as well. And hopefully I'll keep up that mission of trying to bring multiple voices old, young, everybody in between. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the EnormaCast. It is something that I started as a hobby, but as many of you who've been listening for a while know, it has grown exponentially. Well, maybe that's not the right use of that word. It's grown. It's not exactly blown up, but it's grown into something that uh, actually kind of takes up a big part of my life. Um, I actually joke around with most people that the most stressful thing in my life is the EnormaCast, but that's not saying much because I don't have a very stressful life. I got food to eat, beer to drink, things to climb. You know, pretty simple, man. It's all I need. But in light of all that, I want to thank you guys for supporting this thing. Everybody who has written in over the years, everybody who's kicked down donations over the years. And it's funny to say years now instead of months. And uh, the folks I've met out there climbing and at the festivals and everything else that have expressed, uh, you know, at times unmitigated joy over the existence of the EnormaCast, which is a pretty cool thing. It's kept me going. Um, it's kind of weird to think about year number four coming up and commitments I have, at least for that, and then think about the future of what the EnormaCast is going to become, if it's going to stick around, is there an end point, will I be doing this until they put me in the grave with a microphone in front of my face? I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to mention all that stuff because uh, it is time to reflect as the new year begins, as the EnormaCast turns three. So thanks, you guys. Thanks for making it a lot of fun. A couple other things to mention this time around on the intro that I know many of you skip. Don't press the, the 15 plus 15 button just yet. It's a little bit late in the gift-giving season, being the 17th right now. It's hardly time to be ordering anything online. But if you do manage to get this in time, don't forget that the EnormaCast can be part of your gift-giving season. T-shirts over at adiac.com. We've got the Enormal Hold over at pureholds.com. P-U-R-H-O-L-D-S. A couple little gifts for the Enormal fan out there. Maybe you've thought of it already. But, you know, change it to a New Year's gift. Do we give gifts on New Year's Eve? Maybe you can get it in your hands by New Year's Eve. I forgot to mention it all on the last show. I also want to do a shout-out for... Luke Mihal and the gang over at the Climbing Zine, climbingzine.com. They've got a lot of very inexpensive gifts over there. A couple books by Luke, plus the Climbing Zine, all different past issues and whatnot. Lovely stocking stuffers at climbingzine.com. And then, of course, I want to give a shout-out for my man, Brendan Leonard, over at semirad.com. He's got a couple books for sale. His latest one, Funny Shit in the Woods, which is a compilation of most of his best stuff from over at Semirad. Also makes a lovely gift. Yeah, I know. It's a little late, but check it out. What else is coming up? Is Martin Luther King Day coming up? I don't know. President's Day. Do people give gifts on that day? Maybe we should start. Actually, you know what would be awesome? After all the crazy gift giving over Christmas, everybody's come down off that high. Bouts of 
joy and disappointment in equal measure. Give a gift on January 15th. Surprise somebody. You know, I think it would mean a lot more about then. A new day, a normal cast day, January 15th. All right. Delusions of grandeur setting in, a normal cast day, whatever. On to the interview with Jessica Goebel. Now, first thing I want to point out is that I mispronounced her name in the Enormacast. Okay, she is such a polite Southern lady. I'm leaving that space for her friends to stop chuckling. That she did not correct me when I called her Jessica Gobel. Now, the reason I did this is because I had a mentor when I started climbing, Bob Gobel. I don't know if he spelled it the same or not, but it looks the same. So that was on my mind. And actually, Bob, if you're out there listening, get in touch with me. Love to hear from you. Bob taught me many of the fundamentals of lead climbing and belaying a leader on the outside of the dorm at Colorado State, Edwards, Second Southwest, the outdoor adventure floor. Had little rocks with perfect handholds in them and places to put gear. So Bob taught me how to belay a leader out there and a little bit about placing gear, a little bit about climbing on the sharp end. And then we went to Eldo and got on some sort of hair-raising adventure. But Gobel was his last name. Jessica Gobel is her name. And I do apologize to Jessica for that mistake. Would Terry Gross have made that mistake? I don't think so. But I'm no Terry Gross. We all know that. Jessica is a climber, lives in Fayetteville, New River Gorge, 510 rep, among other things. And once again, Jessica is of a generation that's a little bit different than mine, not too much younger, but definitely a generation before me, but also of the first generation of kids sort of storming out of the gym with a focus on sport climbing and bouldering. And then we talk a lot about her transition into trying to become a trad climber, become an adventure climber, an expedition climber. And you guys know I'm fascinated with those origin stories. So we've got another one here. And in this story, we learn about Team Texas, which was something that was quite surprising to me, that something like that exists. Maybe you know about it, Team Texas. But Jessa hits on some of those archetypes that I think we've been running into throughout the Enormal cast. She was a kid who didn't get along that well in high school, didn't really like her surroundings in suburban North Carolina and sort of used climbing as a way to uh, deal with the feelings she was having about her surroundings, about her family, and just maybe her existence feeling out of place like a lot of climbers did when they were younger. So that's kind of interesting to me as well. Anyhow, this is another one from West Virginia on the Enormacast anniversary, episode 71, Team Texas alum, Jessica Goble. But you know what? Before we get to the interview, I'm going to play a classic commercial from the Enormacast. Is three years long enough to be classic? Anyway, in some small way, the phrase pad sniffers has entered the lexicon of climbing. Thanks to the Enormacast. So I want to play this commercial from Dan Markoff, the climbing lawyer. Dan was one of the first guys to really support the Enormacast. And though he does not formally advertise with the Enormacast anymore, he's still out there. He'll still field a question or two about... Uh, the law, if you need to get in touch with him at climbinglawyer at gmail.com. Dan Markoff, the climbing lawyer. Still a lawyer, still a climber, still an Enormacast fan. You know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. 
Nothing is more of a downer to your stoke than facing legal problems, and lawyers have made the whole thing more complicated than that 5-to-1 pulley system you used to haul Uncle Phil up that 5-7 on his birthday. But seriously, facing legal problems and finding a lawyer to help can be pretty gnarly. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Family law, criminal, injury, bankruptcy, and a whole bunch of other arcane things that you never thought would happen to you right up until they did. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. made me more intrigued with the guy because he's such a legend here everybody's like oh yeah that guy that guy and they can all quote him from the movie and all oh that yeah stuff. so anyway all right you talk me yeah okay because i just want to get levels to make sure I, I can hear you yeah i remember i was i climbed with doug the last time he climbed up here oh wait you did mm-hmm. all right you're part of the puzzle i'm part of the puzzle what are you talking about I'm telling you, man. This I'm, I'm, he's an enigma that I'm I'm tracking right now. <laughs> All right. So what? You climbed with them last time he was up here. Yeah, we climbed at Hawk's Nest um, before he had a couple kids. When uh, I can't remember if he and Angie had gotten married or were getting married at that point, or what the deal was. But I remember I was I was pretty young. I must have been. Um, Oh, God. I must have been 13 or 14 up here. And, uh, yeah, bouldering at Hawk's, Hawk's Nest with Doug and Angie and uh, my buddy Heather. And, I, th- yeah, I think that was the or one of the last times he climbed up here uh-huh. that I know of. Right, right. Um, and that was the only time I climbed with him. I had seen him... Uh, I had met him a few times before that and hung out with him several times before that up here when the weather was bad. Right. Um, but, yeah. So you're 13 years old climbing here, and you end up climbing with Doug Reed, who's at the other end of his sort of stint here. How old was he? You know, I don't know. I mean, about. He was still working for 510. He was still right. sales rep in the area for 510. Um, so it was before he had left that scene and gone to work for Specialized and moved down to um, Asheville to start mountain biking and uh, doing like triathlons or something like that. But he, he just like the, the natural um, death of any Southeast climber mountain biking. Oh, is that right? And triathlons or whatever, endurance sports. Um, so, yeah. All right, well, I'm sitting in, uh, we'll just go in here. 
Okay. I'm sitting in uh, Jessica Bell's, what, ante room, living room? A West Virginia shotgun shack is what it's uh, technically categorized as. Was it like, a, is this like one of these sort of mining places? Yeah, this is a, um, it's 700, 750 square feet. And as you can tell by the uh, layout being completely weird, it's got a nice uh, large front room. And then you walk through rooms to get to other rooms. And that's because um, there's a front door there and there's a front door on the on the back half of the house. So apparently this house was built in the uh, 30s or 40s when the coal mine was still operational. Um, over in Kmore, I would assume, or Ames Heights or something in the area. And um, two families would live in this house. The people that built this house, the guy was a stone, no, he was a concrete guy. And his wife was the daughter of the stone mace, Italian stonemason in town that had hand-carved a lot of the stone houses and f features and bridges and on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, little history. They built all the houses on the block here. So you've been climbing here your whole life? I've been climbing. Cars, essentially. I've been climbing at the new since 98, I want to say. Uh-huh. 90, late 90s. And how old were you then? Oh, oh God. I was, uh, I wasn't even in high school then. Really? Yeah, before high school. So how did we, how did we get there? So I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh-huh. Because that's, I mean, like that's pretty common now. Yeah. And what are you, about 30? Come on, man. I'm 19, okay? <laughs> it hasn't been that long. All right, sorry. Yes. I'm insulting a lady. 29. Okay, you're 20. Oh, pardon me. Pardon me. When's your birthday? August 28th. All right. And August. Oh, nice. So you just started 29. So you're not anywhere near yeah. 30. Like, you got your whole life ahead of you before you turn 30. Sorry, I apologize. This is the South. You don't just, like, come out and ask ladies their age like that. I apologize. So 98. <laughs> so you're climbing here. I mean, that's really common now, like... You know, kids get into climbing, but even mm -hmm. even you know that long ago, it, 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 especially to climb outside, especially I think in a place like this, like how did you get into climbing at such a young age? Um, my uncle, my mom's brother, was pretty into extreme sports, so uh, he took me climbing in Virginia, and um, that winter for Christmas. My mom got me lessons at the climbing gym, and then it was kind of, it was on from there. And you started climbing, what, like you said, in the gym and then outdoors? I kind of grew up in the gym and then uh, competed on the junior circuit. I was kind of one of the, you know, with Emily and Angie and, and those girls and, and Beth, and we were kind of the first generation of kids to go through that program. Long, long before it was, you know, USA Climbing. I think the last year or two I was in that junior program, they decided to make it USA Climbing. So <clears throat> went through that whole program, and then, uh, you know, just kind of the standard got really sick of being stuck inside when everybody else, all my friends were out climbing here in the red and in North Carolina and in Boone and whatnot. So I kind of just was over the comp thing. 
after that and had absolutely no desire to compete anymore. Right. So um, shifted over to climbing up here, you know. It's way more fun climbing up here than being stuck in a gym. Right. And you learn a lot more about climbing, I feel like. So it was cool to have that base of, uh, you know, training for comps and the work ethic and learning how to train and and then I'll turn and then um complementing that with climbing up here so it definitely gave me an edge I feel like when I was competing which I was really lucky to have um but you it really kind of gave me a taste of what what climbing could be I guess mm-hmm. to climb up here you know you do you know you climbed up here this week right you climb around here and you're like oh my god I did something today right you go to the gym and you play around and you know you go a lot of other places and do sport routes, and you're like, oh, that's fun, whatever. But here you just have to – it makes you work. And we're talking about the the New River Gorge. We're sitting uh, in Fayetteville, actually, and uh, I've been here for about, what, four days or five days, I guess. I can't remember now because I missed my flight to get here. But, um, but yeah, so this is my first taste of the place, and, and uh, it is a place where – and I, I commented on this today. It's like you need to know how to climb to climb here. Absolutely. Like, I'll probably get a deluge of, of emails, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, fairly highly graded routes in a place like the Red that my instinct was that, like, you don't really need to know how to climb that well to get up a lot of these routes, these big reach, grab a jug, reach, grab a jug routes. And, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe those are here too, I don't know, but it seems like everything I got on that I've been on these last four days have been, like, challenging in a way that uh you know it's like i gotta really know how to use my feet i gotta know how to use my hands i gotta know how to use my gear i've been mostly track climbing while i've been here so Mm -hmm. it is a place that that uh requires you to climb really well but at the same time it seems like a girl from the gym or someone who had primarily learned in the gym it's almost seems a little counterintuitive that you would find like this place to be intriguing so because I think a lot of kids and a lot of people here in the in the southeast or the what are, what did Kenny call it the mid Atlantic, mm-hmm. you know they gravitate to the red because it does really favor that kind of style of just like let's be strong and reach and, and pull. Yeah. So what was it? Do you think that was different about your instincts or about the way you had been brought up in climbing or what you were looking for? That that I mean, you live here now. How long have you lived here? Uh full time. I've lived here. Uh... Five years. Uh-huh. But you've been climbing here, what'd you say? I've been climbing here since the late 90s. Right. You know, so. so I would just every weekend after school hop in the car with, uh, you know, one of the adults from the gym and mm-hmm. they'd drag me up here. Right, right. So, yeah, back to the first question then. What do you think it was? So, you know, I hate to say back then, but, you know, back then. <laughs> so, yeah, the red wasn't what it is today. And then growing up in North Carolina and hearing the stories about Doug and Porter and, um, you know, J.B. Trebeau coming up here and doing Titan's Dice and, you know, Lynn being up here and just all the legendary badasses coming up here and leaving their mark on this place. You know, of course, I, I grew up and, you know, Lynn Hill's just like most other girls, my climbing hero. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely something that helped lure me in. Right. And then being under the wing of, you know, the 
grown-ups, so to speak, in the uh, in the gym, and it was just kind of, that's where they were going. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went to. Right. So I'm trying to kind of frame this. What when what year did you graduate high school? 2003. 2003. Okay, so you're a heck of a lot younger than I am. So kind of putting you in this era, but that, that actually era of like, those guys wasn't that a little bit or quite a few years before that in terms mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. Porter and Doug and 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 Lynn doing the what's the the famous crack climb? Yeah, great show. Right, all that stuff was like a decade before you. So I'm trying to like uh, kind of frame this because you know you've got this this kid and you were a kid at the time um, learning how to climb in North Carolina and. You know, I I talked to some of the other guys here about you know this this gap or this divide. You know, you're you guys are all these climbers, and you're a little weird, and you're a little hippie, and you're a little liberal, and you live in this place that's like whoa, 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 whoa. hippie and liberal. That's not you. Thank you, and not Pat probably. Yeah, thank okay. you. Okay, the crowd. Okay, and <laughs> yeah. whether or not you guys are, you're <laughs> exactly. gonna be you're gonna get lumped in with them anyway. Whether I you know, like I not. know. So growing up, North Carolina, you know. Not just a climber, but this climber who's sort of steeped, this little kid who's sort of steeped in this weird past, this like really, I mean, hidden, you know, there's no, no one else in the world that reveres, you know, those, the, the South steepest, that, that ridiculous video that I watched this weekend, you know, in that era, even within climbing, it isn't really well known, right? No. And you're like, I mean, we'll. What were you like, like interacting? I mean, what were you like as a kid in high school? Like, you know, if climbing was your thing, was was there other things that were your thing? Climbing was just kind of my thing. At, at that time, I was so immersed in training and competing and traveling all over the country and competing at, a, at an elite level for my age, I guess. Um, I was so immersed in that, that every second I was not in school, I was either at the gym or somewhere in the country climbing. Mm-hmm. Not much different than my life today. <laughs> right. But um you know I just I, I wasn't I wasn't interested in going to the mall and going shopping so much. I did it every once in a while with my friends just to uh you know that was that was my rest day activity you could say. Right. Try to be sociable. <laughs> yeah try to be sociable. But I mean I just I was on a totally different program I could not sit in class to save my life. I would get up in class and roam the halls. And I was not in any way interested in being in a confined space. I needed to be moving. Um, and climbing was just kind of my outlet, I mm-hmm. guess. And my uh, I had a hard time in high school at school, and I had a hard time in high school at home. I knew it was the only thing that was going to keep me, I guess, out of trouble. Right. You know? Did it work? It did for the most part. Right on. <laughs> so do you like imagine yourself on like a different path? Absolutely. It? Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would not I would be in a totally different place with different priorities, not all positive without, you know, without that. You're self-aware enough now to realize that or did you realize that even then? Did you feel that even then or did you I kind of I mean that would know, be pretty heavy for a kid. Well, like, you know, I kind of had a a weird family situation growing up. Didn't see eye to eye with my parents um and uh with my uh at home situation, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
So. So would you characterize it as a, as an escape then? Absolutely, yeah. 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 And what was it like to be? You said you ended up climbing down here with adults, you know. Yeah. And, and having this, and you said sort of the old school guys were 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 bringing you up. Yeah. I mean, what kind of influence was that? Because thinking about. You know, anytime that you're a kid, and I'll say a kid like even like 13, 14, mm-hmm. and you know, some adult who, who like you think is cool makes some sort of connection with you, mm-hmm. like it's a really heavy thing. Yeah. And was that like happening within the climbing community in terms of coming down here with adults and like, you know, being this kid on this scene with, with sort of adult climbers? My my buddy Heather was kind of was the one that would bring me up here every single weekend. We didn't we didn't miss a weekend. Mm-hmm. Rain, snow, whatever. We were up here, even if we were sitting sitting at Rogers or sitting at Cathedral or whatever all day. Like you know, we came up here and we gave it a shot. Basically, I had a deal worked out with my parents where I would mow the lawn for twenty bucks a time mm-hmm. or do some other. You know, above and beyond chore at the house. Elena needs her grass mowed, by the way. Well, I got a number of a guy who can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would mow the lawn twice a week, whether it needed it or not. Get my 40 bucks and, you know, pitch in my share for gas. And back then, gas was, you know, gas wasn't very expensive. Mm -hmm. Dollar, dollar 20 a gallon. Um come up here and climb all weekend and go home, do it again. Right. So, and I got really, really lucky with um, the people at the gym being super cool and being positive influences and and being people who basically wouldn't put up with my shit. Mm -hmm. Who would smack me around a little bit and um, make sure I was, you know, not throwing wobblers and... Being polite and not getting into stuff at the camp at Rogers, you know. Heather Heather let me drink a couple beers, but um, right. She knew where the line was. Everybody right. knew, you know. They were all cool enough to know where the line was, you know. And then you know, in North Carolina with a lot of those older dudes, it was kind of the saying: if you're old enough to climb with me and you're old enough to place gear and hold your own, you're old enough to you know have a drink with me. So it's kind of that mentality is it was kind of funny. And my parents were they 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 had to have known what was going on. They're totally cool with it. And they knew the people I was going with that I was going climbing with were were good influences and Right. Well, I, you know, I had a had a, a dad and, and his son on the show way back long time ago. You know, and uh and the dad young kid and the dad was very much in agreement with that idea of like, okay, so, you know, climbers like to raise hell a lot of times and climbers like to party a little bit. And he says, but you know, it's like in its place, it's appropriate. And I trust these guys cause they're good people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what your parents knew or what they didn't know, but I mean, well, there's in, a lot that they didn't know. Certainly. <laughs> there's but, a lot that I'm, there's a lot that, you know, it's mm-hmm. climbing. I mean, I've seen this dynamic before mm-hmm. of like having a kid there young person rather, you know, not necessarily kids, although kids are way more around, but of everybody like, all right, well, how far can we take this with him or her yeah. around? And, you know, what are we going to let them sort of peek into in terms of what we do? And the, and kids soak it all up, you know, it's like you soak it all up. 
you yep. know what's going on. So let me ask about your, your, your climbing in terms of, you know, North Carolina and, and that far south and those places. I mean, I don't know too much about the climbing down there, but mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's it's fairly traditional, yep. um, you know, sparse kind of, if there are bolts, it's sparsely bolted. Mm-hmm. A lot of slab climbing down there. Not at Moore's Wall. Oh, right. What's no, that all about? That's um, bullet hard quartzite. A lot of horizontal features. Mm-hmm. There's a there is a zone up there with some sport climbs that are really good. Um, but like you know, you can climb zoo view, zoo view, and it's five seven, and you can pull a roof on it. Right. And it's just bomber buckets, bullet hard rock. So it's kind of cool. You really learn how to play skier there. When I was a kid, it was like the destination for weird gear placements and trad climbing. And, right. You know. It was definitely on the map back then. So as you're learning how to trad climb, because that's a little unusual too, you know, the story now is definitely gym climbers moving on to become sport climbers. Yep. And and maybe not, I mean, honestly, like branching out quite a bit later in their career after Mm -hmm. they've sort of plateaued with what they can do sport climbing. You know, how soon were you out there on the lead with with gear? That came much, much later for me. That didn't come until... um, that didn't come till I was out of high school, in and out of college, around the time that I had met Pat. So probably 11 years ago, one of my climbing partners in North Carolina, he was just like, all right, you know, time. You got to, <laughs> you got right. you know, clipping bolts is fun and all, but right. I think it's time. Uh-huh. We, we should go, we should go play around, play some, some gear. And then um, as soon as Pat came into the picture, that's when... You know, I had always, you know, thought it was kind of like, that's kind of what the old school du- dudes do, and that's kind of like a thing of the past, and I don't know about this kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my bag or not, but, you know, Pat came into the picture and gave gave that side of climbing a new definition mm-hmm. to me, um, because he was climbing the super cool you know, futuristic, really edgy, um, sporty lines. Like I had, I thought trad climbing was climbing cracks and this weird, obscure, adventure, jungly bullshit that just was not appealing to me. And then he, you know, came and climbed, I started climbing with him and then it was just kind of like, wow, you're doing the badass or climbs basically with gear, mm-hmm. you know, I, did, I had no idea that was even an option. Right. So you had been climbing up here in, in, in just I'd never climbed. climbed. I mean, I'm very just ashamed to say back, it now. Walking by, walking by them. Walking by them, just being like, all right, that's yeah, cool, whatever. Someday. Or that guy's. I'd never even, it never even like been a thought. Oh, well, let me back up though, because. We just skipped a little little moment because I'm curious about I'm, I'm still curious about this like where you came from. So you did graduate from high school, and you just mentioned in and out of college. So when it when you did graduate from high school, and now you do have this sort of you know some level of freedom um, where you're not necessarily dependent on on adults to come up here with exactly. or whatever. You know what did that look like? Like you know, were you determined to be a climber at that point or did you kind of decide, I mean, what, what were you thinking at that point? I mean, how, how do you end up here from there? Like at 18? 
Yeah, I mean, I was just focused on climbing. That's what I knew. That's what I knew I liked to do. That was just kind of the life life that I wanted, I guess. So it was just whatever I could do to figure out just the standard story, whatever mm-hmm. I could do to figure out how to climb more. Mm-hmm. And when when I was competing, I got pulled into uh, climbing for Team Texas. They, like, quote-unquote, Kyle recruited me. Wait, what? Um, so I was climbing in North Carolina. Sure. I went to a junior World Cup and met um, Kyle Klinkscales, who's the coach of t- Team Texas. He's kind of the... Uh, that, that's his brainchild. Um, so he he met my parents there, and he met me. And is this the same like Team Texas that's yep. been like pumping out absolutely in the last few years? I was like... the original generation from oh, okay. that. Okay. One of the originals from that right. team. One of the first people. I had, from that I had team. no idea it was like so a, a it was, thing. It was I thought a it was thing just back random. then too. It was crazy. Okay. Yeah. So um, Team Texas. That exists. It's a thing. I need to have this guy on the show. You need to have him on the show. Yeah, because I thought it was just uh, a matter of matter of circumstance that that you know these these girls in particular are yeah. raging out of Texas oh, in the last few years. Yeah, but it's it's a design. It's like a it's he it's like has a, got it a wired. German, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, regimented thing. We're pumping out absolutely. amazing tiny sport climbing mm-hmm. girls. Absolutely. Although, no offense to the guys, I just can't think of one right now. No. The guys' program is, you need to step it up. <laughs> anyway, back to you. So, so you're getting recruited. So, he was just like, you know, I'll come out and visit you guys. She needs a coach. She, you know, she's got the talent. She's got the focus. She's got the drive. But she needs some coaching. And my, at that point, my parents were just like so enthralled with the idea that, you know, we were in Europe for a month so I can train for and do this junior world cup deal. You know, it's like you're they, famous. They were like, Holy shit, this is it. Right. This is all worth it. We get to hang out in Europe. We need more of this. Um, so he was like, we can get you more of that. I'll come out. We'll do a session. See how it goes. She'll come out to Texas. We'll do a session there. See how it goes. So that kind of snowballed into, uh, they were doing outdoor trips. They were the only climbing team and only like junior program at that time that was doing outdoor climbing trips. And uh, that was, you know, the ultimate goal was to uh, mow the lawn as many times as I could mm-hmm. and uh, do as many birthday parties and belay lessons at the gym and get that cash under the table from the gym so that I could have enough money to go on summer trip with these guys. And mm-hmm. we would just, I'd, you know, that was it. Where would That's you what go? it was about. Like, what would you guys? So we, we would, so the deal was you had to go through hell week. Okay. It was like, like, you know, Navy SEAL style, you know, you're up, you know, 40 hours exercising, you know, extreme pain and suffering. Um, like they, they like, like teamwork and they took like the Friday night lights, like football model. Dude. Yeah. This is amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So you would go like blackballed or something for even telling me all this. No, no. Okay. It's not a secret. No. Okay. Um, so you would have to go and do hell week. And if you made it through that, you got to go on summer trip. Okay. And the older kids got to go uh, 
the whole time, the younger kids, they got to go half of it. And as soon as we got to nationals halfway in the trip, mm-hmm. they'd, they'd fly home with their parents. Right. Um, so... So where were you going? We would go all over the Western U.S. It was incredible. We'd start in Dallas, go to Colorado. Um, You know, at that time, late 90s, rifle was it. Like, that was the ultimate. Like, everybody goes to rifle in the summer. If Mm -hmm. you're a badass climber and you are really into climbing, that's what you did. It's still Anyone who's anyone. It's still like that. Sure, sure, you know, sure, yeah. but anyway, now, you know, that, that, that was the ultimate, that's what you did, so as soon as, you know, I was told, oh yeah, we're going to swing through rifle on this trip, I was just like, whatever it takes, I'm in, I'm all in, yeah, I'll do push-ups till I puke, I'm cool with that. You know, I'll do all these ridiculous exercises and and run at, you know, three in the morning. I'm cool with that. If we get to go to rifle, I'm good. So we'd go all over the Western U.S. We'd mm -hmm. go up through Colorado. I remember um, the first year in in 2000, we stayed at Todd Skinner's house for a month. I slept under his bouldering wall in his garage for weeks. Right. And we just like, it was just climbing every day. We'd go up to the Iris and go up to Sinks. Todd gave us a slideshow and, like, about some, like, one of the trips he'd done to Greenland or something. And, you know, it just gave us the whole, you know, oh, yeah, I remember this and I remember that. And it was just like, whoa, all right. Who, who, is there anybody else on sort of your team or that era that, that kept climbing outside of that like you had? Um, not in... You know, there are, yeah, some of the other kids, yeah, they do still climb. Right. Um, but not, not, they're not in the industry at right, all, right. or they don't, you know, they do it re- recreationally. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, Alex Puccio was on that program. She okay. was one of the younger kids, so I was the older kid having to help coach her and, um. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> She owes you a lot. I, I was pretty yeah. much, yeah. oh, my yeah. God, yeah. stop Influ- being yeah. crazy. Right. <laughs> like, come on, you still got more push-ups to do. Focus. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a really cool time. So every summer it was all about making sure I was able to go on summer trip. Can you? And go to Waco for Thanksgiving and right. Christmas and spring break. and. So what did the – and this is when? This is – Pre-graduation? Pre-graduation high school, yeah. This was, this is all all high school. So, like, I would say in high school, you know, every holiday Mm -hmm. I spent with those guys in Texas. And um, most holidays, like spring break, Christmas, New Year's, uh, Thanksgiving, those holidays were all spent in Waco. Mm -hmm. And we'd just go hang out in Boulder. And um, my buddy Rob had bought the house from Todd. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, before it was a rock ranch, before the Alpine Club owned it. So we, we'd go down there and help him work on the house and go so climbing. And What was the goal of the program? The goal of the program like was to, to... create superhuman climbers? or yes. like yeah. I mean, but what was it in terms of, you know... There was like, the goal was to go out and have fun. And climbing was, climbing was that, uh, that, that common denominator, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
So, and we we competed because we needed to bring home blue ribbons, blue ribbons to our parents so that we could keep doing what we were doing. Really? You know, like what I'm I'm trying to kind of like think about like this this idea of of you know there's not like a there's not like a, a Olympic event to train towards or a you know a world this or I guess there is to a certain extent but. I mean, was that, was there a goal in that of like, we want to put out champions or was it really just about like these kids need to go have fun and like, do you know what I mean? Like what? So, you know, that obviously if you're going to compete, the goal is always to win. Right. We wanted to win, of course. Um, that's why they brought me in because of, you know, I was, I was good enough at it and, uh, doing well with comps at that time. So um, it was, I guess it was just one of those things, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this, you know, and when, um, we're done competing, we're going to go climb outside and have fun right, and right. like be kids and do summer trip and do trips to Waco and wherever else. Um, but yeah, it was the, um, the, uh, the comps were the, basically this is not how it is now. Right. I'm going to go ahead and make that clear. This is not how it is now. But back then, to some of us, it was just to appease the parents. Sure. And just keep the keep sending us out. Right, right. Yeah, like the you accolades like, yeah. make it seem important. Right. Um, so, yeah. It was, that, was, that was a fun time in my life. And, yeah. It was a really cool time. To be able to be crammed in a 15-passenger van with, you know, 16 people and a dog and drive around the country for a mm -hmm. summer mm -hmm. and just, you know, go climbing and have fun and camp and suffer. So it sort of, like, made you, to a certain extent, who you are in terms of mm -hmm. climbing. Like, Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, I grew up in North Carolina. But I grew up on those summers, right. on those trips. I grew up. That's how I grew up. Right. So it's kind of, I guess, I haven't really lost that. I, I live in, I just live in a different van now. Right, right. <laughs> I found a way <laughs> to get somebody to pay me to live in a van. Right, right. Because you're, you're repping for various companies, including 510, and you got a Sprinter van that's not yep. running real well right at the moment. But Well... As yeah, of a minute ago, happen. but uh, okay, so cool. Well, you know, that's really, I mean, that's really fascinating to me. I had no idea that existed. Like, um, I'm kind of in the dark in terms of in terms of competition climbing, junior competition mm -hmm. climbing. Like, I'm too old to pay attention to it, frankly. But uh, like, I do pay attention to you know who's on top of this and that. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, I just I just thought it was kind of like you know, they didn't have anything else to do in Dallas. So they climb a lot in the gym. And so now yeah. they've got really good climbers, but there's this like, there's Oh, it's this... like a full on structured deal. Like there's back then it was just like kind of a, a science experiment, if you will, where, you know, nobody had done it before. Mm -hmm. There was nothing to go off of for it. All we knew was we wanted to go climbing. So whatever that took, Competing was part of it. Winning was great. It's always fun to win and do well. And we wanted to win so that we could keep going. Um, now it's a much more structured program. They don't do... That program doesn't do the 
the trips around the country like we did. Um, they go to the Red and they train for nationals. That's what they do. Right. And they train for their bigger comps, which is sweet. They still get to go outside and go climbing. It's really cool. And it's just become this whole, it's kind of a different animal than it was back then. We got away with that. And, you know, just like anything, it, once it grows to a certain point, you got to kind of tighten it up a little. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, things change, too. They do, I mean, yeah. Just in terms of what sort of kids can do. You know, with minimal supervision these days versus mm-hmm. yeah. even 10 years ago, like yeah. when you were at. So so that was that that portion. Not many of those kids were climbing outside by themselves without mm-hmm. that group. But I was because I lived on a different side of the country than they did. So I was used to coming up here at the new and climbing and going to the red and going wherever else that... Everybody from the gym was going to that weekend so that I was able to like not be dependent on, on that situation, on the summer trip situation with those people to go climbing. I was able to find climbing for myself and find out what it meant for my, for me um, and find what I wanted out of it. So, and then going back to the whole, you know, gear climbing thing, I met Pat and that opened up a whole different side of climbing that I had no idea could exist for me, I guess. Well, let me ask you this. You had said, oh, there was, you know, then I was in and out of college or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. all right, so you graduate high school. This this program is no longer available to you or whatever happens. You're not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, what did this sort of middle period look like of like, like, why did you even bother going to college? You know, or, exactly. or whatever. Yep. yep. Because, I mean, you know, that's a big... I think that's a big moment for a lot of kids. And I'll, I'll say this, like, and I think I've, I've sort of hinted at it, at least on the show before. When I hear about kids who are really good climbers, I mean, I think it's awesome. And I think it's totally cool. And I'm all, but I'm always like, all right, well, what happens when it's time to motivate themselves? In other words, when your coaches aren't motivating you mm-hmm. to get up and train or go climbing mm-hmm. or you're, you know, in some case, kids cases, your parents aren't the ones like waking you up. Like all high school sports, yep. you know, there's all these external motivators that, you know, keep you on track. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, some kids will go on and do a sport in college and they, they continue to do that. There's a coach and a team and other people. But in every climber's life, there comes this point of like, well, guess what? It's time for me to decide whether this is something I want to do mm-hmm. on my own with my money my motivation, although it sounds like you were paying for a lot of it yourself anyway, but I'm going to be the one who gets me up and decides where I'm going to go. Like, you're not going to get in a van and, and somebody says, we're going to Rifle. And you're like, whoopee. You have to be, I'm going to Rifle. Or do I want to go here? Do I want to go here? So yeah. what did that look like for you in terms of like, again, we're, we're kind of trying to arrive at this point where mm-hmm. you're working in the industry. Your life is very much revolves around climbing like you said you still every day every second is climbing that's not working or sleeping or whatever so where what point did you wake up and say this is who i am without all this other external stuff the day after i graduated high school i moved out of the house i hated everything about anything that did not involve me being outside or going somewhere cool in the woods or in the mountains or something 
I hated that town. I knew I wasn't going to talk to any of the people I went to high school with after that. I just, I needed a change, I guess. I was very restless in my situation. I was a kid. I was a a, a young punk-ass kid that just had a, just did not want anything to do with what was going on anywhere. Unless it was on my terms, which climbing was on my terms. So I went on my last summer trip with those guys, and I knew it was the last one. I went to my last nationals, went out with a bang, was went to college, excuse me, did my first semester in college in Banner Elk, North Carolina, because I, I spun it with my parents. I was like, you know, this is as close as I'm going to get to climbing. If I go to school in the Boone area, Banner Elk, I'm only 20 minutes away from grandmother and Lost Cove and 221 and all that stuff. You know, I'm not going to be spending all my time driving to climbing because I'll already be there. I'll have more time for my homework and just totally spun it on him and was like, I'm going to climb a lot. And that didn't pan out so well for me at that time. I pretty much spent that first semester of school partying, basically, climbing at a minimum and, um, not focused, partying. <laughs> Just typ- right. typical standard, I'm out of the house, I'm a freshman in college. Woo! And then I kind of like, was like, wow, this is not really, this is not conducive to uh, what I want. So, you know, I got I got to get out of the situation. I moved back in with my parents, which was extremely painful. Went to community college, had uh, three jobs, and was in community college, which was uh, made for long days, and then got back to going climbing at the new. That was just kind of where I needed to be. So, uh, and that was kind of, I guess that was kind of the, uh, I guess kind of the trigger for me of, you know, I spent that time away from climbing and doing other things and realized those other things were not really, I thought they were what, what I wanted to be doing, but they really weren't what I wanted to be doing. So then, then what happened? Then, I mean, what, was there a point at which you were like the typical in the van, I'm going to be a climbing bum, like work yeah. out jobs or something like that? Or I had this piece of shit Volkswagen that uh, Kyle gave me. He's like, okay, cool. You last summer out here. You, you need a car. Just drive my car home. I need a new car. This thing is... It's in decent shape. You can fix it up. I'm Kyle. Get, my coach, Kyle oh, from right. Team Texas. Right. I'll give it to you, but you got to deal with it. I'd rather keep it in the family. Um, so I was like, okay, whatever. You know, I brought this thing home, and my dad was pissed. He was like, this thing is such a piece of shit. Right. I can't believe you're driving this. I, I, I think I drove the last thousand miles home from Dallas with a broken CV joint, pulled into town, and went straight to the mechanic. After that, after leaving Banner Elk and moving back in with the parents and uh, dealing with all that, all efforts were towards moving back up to the Boone area. So whatever that took, and then uh, went up to the new one weekend and uh, met Pat at Gene and Moore Kistler's at a dinner party there and talked to him and then talked to him again later on and then we kind of hit it off and that was kind of... You know, things fell into place for me to move back up to Boone, and that is when I really started realizing that 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 like, you know, saw how Pat was living and was like, "Oh my God, this like, you're making it work." That's what mm-hmm. I want to do. That's what mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out how to do. 
but I've been doing it the wrong way. <laughs> so in what way were you doing it the wrong way? And what did you see in what he was doing? So I grew up in like suburban hell, North Carolina, money town, where, you know, you work your little summer job and, you know, you know, your parents expected you to work and the standard nine to five. And if you weren't doing that, then you weren't a contributing member of society and you needed to do X, Y, and Z to uh, legitimize yourself around your peers. And um, I had no idea there was another way to do things. You know, you're raised that way. That's all you know. And, you know, next thing I knew, I'm sitting in Anthony Love's uh, attic watching whatever on the internet with Pat all night listening to him oh well you know when I lived in Colorado in Fort Collins I'd give plasma and then ride my bike to Lori <laughs> and Boulder all day with Ben Scott and everybody right it's just like I mean it just like my head spun off and he wasn't a dirtbag you know he lived in a house he had a car he wasn't like you know I thought it was one extreme or the other you work your ass off and go climbing on the weekends and that's how you made it work or you have sponsors, and they pay for everything, or you have parents to pay for everything, or you're the typical valley dirt bag right. that's, like, digging in the trash can and stuff. I had no idea that you could have that life and go climbing when you want and work on rest days or work enough to get by and be comfortable and still get to go climb. I had no idea that was possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then again, things shifted from living in Boone I was like, okay, cool, Ch can check that off the list. Item number two on the list, figure out how Pat is making that work and replicate that. And uh, I feel like I have gotten there and have the best of both worlds now where I have a job that I love and in an industry that I love and, and still get to go climbing way more than I probably should. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been together with Pat? Ten years, and it's taken me eight years to figure out and make everything click for you to me for me to get to where I am. I, I want to ask you a little bit about Pat's influence on you as a climber. I assume that you had at least dabbled in trad climbing at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And this guy, Pat Goodman, yep. I mean, he's a legend here in this area in the South. You know, a pretty legit, dedicated trad climber. I mean, certainly probably clips, bolts, and everything else. But his first mm -hmm. ascents and things like that, he's he seems to be, always be seeking these. He's hard to find these last great, like hard sort of mixed trad or trad problems mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So what was his influence on your climbing? Yeah, you know, he just um, did and still continues to just help me open these doors to uh, different styles of climbing and different avenues of climbing, And I guess. And um, when I was a kid, I'd look at climbing magazines and I'd look at, you know, pictures of Moose's Tooth or, you know... I remember the um, when the climbing magazine covers with Ken and Harvey in, in the desert pulling holding on to that sandstone jug and pulling up slack and having a rope in his mouth and stuff and being like it, I just couldn't conceptualize ever doing that. It was just kind of always this distant thing. Whereas like that would be really cool to do that, but I like I could never in my mind connect the dots. And so I guess Pat's influence has been right now. He's where I want to be, and he's going to get me to where I want to be. I just mm -hmm. need to be. Climb with him and be near him. Just, like, keep that going. Um, and then it snowballed into other things, our relationship. You said, like, it took you eight years to figure it out. You're now repping for various companies. Who do you work for? Uh, Petzl, 510, Jewelbo, Joshua Tree. 
Okay. And, uh, and that's allowed you to, to do, you know, have this life where you can climb, you know, nearly as much as you want, maybe as much as you want. Maybe you're that lucky. Um, It never seems to be enough for most people, but still, and you're in the industry. So it's, it's, it's part of your life. So, and recently you went to Chamonix. So you've added Alpine climbing to a certain extent to your, to your sort of resume or your goals or, or or whatever else. I wanted to go on expeditions. I looked at the climbing magazines and people going to Pakistan, people going to the Himalaya, people going Shipped Inspire and Patagonia and this, that, the other. And Pat was the first person I'd ever met that ever did anything like that. I'd never met anybody who'd been on an expedition before. It was like, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning how to climb on gear was step one I knew I needed to do. Step two was just kind of go in the mountains with him and figure out, you know, hiking peaks or whatever in Colorado and doing some you know, multi-pitch climbing, that was step two. And then um, the last couple summers I've spent in Colorado trying to uh, climb some alpine routes and get used to that terrain and just taking it a step at a time. Um, and then this summer was my first big mountain ex- expedition. And um, When was the Vampire Spires? Vampire Spires was um, in July. Okay. So that was a big trip this year as well. It was a big trip. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Probably that's probably the hardest trip I ever. I I. What did you guys? I know better than to so say hard. it ever will be, but it was hard. Um, it was definitely. Didn't you just take a chopper in like I did? Oh, <laughs> I mean, smash and grab. That's what we did. Oh right. Oh God, yeah. No, I think it was as hard as it could have possibly been for my first expedition. It rained every day. Mm-hmm. We shuttled loads for days. Got in position, climbed halfway up something, got annihilated by weather, stashed gear to try to go for round two. Last day, did the walk of shame, grabbed our shit and left. Mm-hmm. Had to leave. Plane was coming. We were sitting there and I was bitching about how the mosquitoes were so bad and his place was so beautiful and I felt so bad that I couldn't enjoy it um, the way I wanted to because... You know, if you walk outside and skills annihilate you and it was raining. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I had these, this false illusion of like being able to like hang out in the Alpine meadow and my sports bra and and my underwear and write poetry and just kind of like, you know, kissing butterflies and, Mm -hmm. you know, petting the little pikas and having them crawl on me and shit like that. (laughs) It was, uh, not like that, right. <laughs> which is fine. But yeah, now I know that's kind of how it is. And, you know, we we're sitting out there and I'm, I'm, I was voicing that to Pat and he's like, well, you better figure your shit out <laughs> because as soon as we get on that plane, you don't think so, but you're going to wish you were here. <laughs> and then damn it if he wasn't right. Mm-hmm. As soon as we got on that plane halfway into the flight back to the lodge, I was just like, what if we do laundry, eat a good meal, and maybe try to come back out for a couple days? Right. (laughs) Totally unrealistic. But, um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of my program now. So it's kind of evolved. I feel like my climbing's kind of evolved from uh, all efforts to 
figuring out how to go on summer trip and hang out with my friends and go sport climbing and bouldering all summer to all efforts towards figuring out how to go on another expedition and go climb in the mountains, figure out who's going to pay for it. You know, it's all, it was all about figuring out how, how are mom and dad going to get psyched to get pay, to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to win some more comps so that I can get them to get psyched to pay for this. Um, so now it's kind of like, okay, now i got to figure this out on a bigger scale without mom and dad. And how's the industry going to help me? Right. <laughs> figure out how to pay for this stuff. That's not really realistic, but... It's completely realistic. It's how it's done. Yeah. I mean, what else? For some, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Absolutely. Well, so let's wrap this thing up because yep. we've been gone for a, a good while. I kind of was a little bit shocked. I didn't know too much about you. Okay. Um, and, you know, when we started this with how you were talking about having been here with Doug Reed way back a, a, a long enough ago that, that for at, le- at least for the new, that was like, you know, kind of almost a mythical past, even though it was really like, what, 15 years ago or something like that. But it kind of shocked me to realize how young you were when you started climbing here. And Mm -hmm. you went through this time, this period, you've hinted at it a bunch or or flat out said it that you were sort of miserable through high school, miserable with your family, moved on. And I mean, can you sort of express just when you wake up in the morning and you're doing what you do and you're planning these expeditions now, if, if, if you have some sort of dream expedition coming up, I don't know, but what do you think about when you think about that kid who was, who was 12, 13, whatever, and, uh, and starting to climb up here in the, in the new river gorge. And now you live here. Like what's your sort of reflection on it as, <laughs> as, uh, as somebody who's, you know, that's, that's 17, almost 17 years ago. I feel like the circumstances have changed, but I feel like I, and anybody who's known me that long will probably tell you that I'm, I'm still the same little asshole. <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> um, I still, yep, I still run my mouth and a little too opinionated and, but you know, maybe a little calmer. But um, my priorities are still what they were back then and just different circumstances, same goals. What What do you think it is? I mean, what is it that brought you this far with climbing and continues to drive you with climbing? You know, it was an escape for you in high school, but it's not, I mean, you know, yeah. your, your circumstances aren't such that you need to go out and like, disappear from something anymore. no so no absolutely not what do you think I, it is definitely... and, and this is a tough question because i ask it to a lot of people and not everybody can can tell me what it is but what do you think it is like the climbing thing it takes a special person to dedicate yourself to something where you fail so much that can be so painful like it was in in the vampire spires mm-hmm. where you you elected to go out and suffer yeah in a way that you know you you couldn't even have imagined ahead of time, and yeah. most people can't. So, what do you think it is? Can you, is there any way you uh, have you ever thought about it? Are you that uh, kind of person that to yeah, drop it in there? It's just kind of, I guess, like everything for some crazy reason or another throughout my life is just kind of lined up and led up to where I am now. Like, if I hadn't had the experiences I had with climbing on the climbing team. 
and being forced to suffer and do those hell weeks and, you know, be cramped up in a van with way too many people and driving around for too many hours and spending all those nights, like, laying on people in a van, like, three people to a bench, people on the floorboard, whatever, um, and learned how to, he learned how to suffer and be uncomfortable and be cool with it, but know that, um, that tomorrow we're going climbing or tomorrow we're going to go have fun and be in this really cool place that I've never been before. And it's, it's kind of experiences and learning how to place gear. And it's all gotten me to where I ultimately uh, wanted to be when I looked at those climbing magazines when I was a kid and when I, you know, saw the videos and talked to people and, and whatnot. And, um, and it's just been this, this crazy ride and it's been really cool. And, um, you know, doors keep getting open for me and I'm able to do cooler and cooler things. And I'm constantly stimulated by climbing now that, um, I've been able to learn and learn so many disciplines of climbing and be good at them. And constantly am able to find stuff even here at the new that I still really want to do. And if I get bored with one thing, I can switch it up and go clip bolts and find some cool sport climb to do or I can go dig around in an obscure area and find some cool track climb to do or I can go dig around and find some cool boulder problem to do or just like there's always something to be done and um, that learning how to suffer and be uncomfortable when I was a kid I thought about that a lot this summer when I was sitting in a tent on day seven of it raining um just like wow like I'm glad I had those experiences then because this would have been that much harder now. You know, I would have been in a lot worse shape <laughs> up in Canada than I than I was. So um, something I constantly think about, you know, things have lined up in a crazy way for me and I don't understand why. It's not something that can be explained. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jessa, for uh, sitting down and, and telling your story and, uh, I appreciate it, and you know, my first trip to the New River Gorge has uh, been awesome. And I want to say that you guys, yourself, and the crew here, which seems so tight, you know. And unfortunately, you were you were out uh, working the last couple of days and, and missed the, uh, the potluck, I'm, which I'm, I'm missed, sure you're, yeah. you're you've been to many of those things. So, but the crew here seems great, and uh, I think you're one of the big parts of it. And whether you you think of all these other people as legendary, but it seems like you're here at least doing your part to kind of keep the stories going. So thanks a lot for sitting down on the Cool, Armcast. yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to Jessica Goebel for sitting down. She had actually just returned from an arduous journey in the 510 van whose front end was going out as she limped back into Fayetteville. It was nice enough to sit down even so. So thanks to her. Thanks for listening. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to all of you. I know some of you folks have been here since the very beginning, even beforehand, with the now secret and lost Off Belay podcast. I can't talk about that. Anyway, hopefully in the new year, the Norma Cast will continue to grow. It sometimes surprises me when people say they've never heard of it. I know that sounds cocky, but, you know, 
there's not that many climbers out there. Like, let's get this thing out there. So do me that favor in the new year. Let your friends know. Let people know about the Normacast. Let's help this thing grow. And maybe by 2016, I'll be able to quit my day job. All right, folks. Get out there and have some fun. And don't forget to check your knot. Oh, and guess who's going to the Ice Fest in Ure? Me. Don't look for me in the ice park. At least not climbing any ice. Just look for me in the hot tub. Maybe your hot tub. Oh, yeah. Happy anniversary. Want a beer? You gonna call room service? We got beer. You hold beer up this rock, you're insane. I may be insane, but I'm not stupid. I didn't carry it. You did. It's in your pack. <laughs>